Hi guys, it's David. Uh, just a quick disclaimer here. In this episode, we discuss uh, with Matt uh, Anton Corbin's new film, A Most Wanted Man, which stars Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, this episode was recorded before Mr. Hoffman's passing, so none of the comments about him were uh, made, obviously, with that in mind. We will discuss uh, the death of Philip Seymour Hoffman in um, much more length and detail on next week's episode. Thank you. Bye. Welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. Thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Uh, as you know, I'm a little bit uh, frazzled because yeah. I had to work late. I had to rush over here and then I had things I needed to talk to you about and I did not write them down. And yeah. so I've been racking my brain trying to remember. Because here's the thing is Tyler and I are essentially running a, a you know, we have a website and a podcast here that we run, mm-hmm. but we only actually talk about it for like half an hour a week. Yeah. And then there's emails and stuff. But we, I put way too much pressure on myself to be like, we've got to knock out these like business things we have to talk about in yeah. this 30 to 40 minutes before we record. I should know. I should let everyone know that I never gave you my phone number. So I feel like, you know, <laughs> well, so that's, look, that explains some of the pressure. Look, uh, one thing I've learned, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you out here on the air, is that I will never leave you a voicemail. And I will try never to leave you to write you an email or a text message that is more than one sentence long because I don't think you read second sentences of anything. That's I, the impression that I've gotten. First off, you are spot on about that voicemail thing. <laughs> uh, secondly, um, no, I, I've, I've been trying to do a little bit better with with emails and texts. I will read the entirety of the text. Okay, but uh, but yeah. So well, while I tell you, remembering things I've forgotten. Okay, the guy who gave us stuff that I want to thank is named Ben. And so ben. I want to say thanks to Ben for All the right. Christmas presents. I know it's almost, well, by the time you're hearing this, it's February. Yeah. Do you pronounce that first R in February? I do. So do I. So I didn't used to when I was a kid, but then I thought yeah, that R is there and no one, yeah. there's, there's been no official declaration that the R is silent. So yeah. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I had a friend in high school whose last name was Goldalian, G-U-L-D-A-L-I-A-N. But everyone said, even then, they said Godalian. They did not pronounce that first mm. L, and I always did. I don't know if that was right or not, but it's, it's by the same principle. It's there. It's just sitting there. No one's using it. Do you say the TH in clothes? Yeah, what do you say? Clothes? Well, well, when I was a kid, I would say, and if you listen to most people, they'll say clothes. Well, which one did you just say just now? Oh, and that's the thing. Sorry. I have to force myself, because I taught myself to say clothes, like to... Uh-huh. to to just have a slight th yeah. in there, uh, but most people I know say close, just c o l c l o s e. Yeah. Do you know what I taught myself to say? What's that? Sure, instead of sure. Oh yeah, it's that one's not a big priority for me. <laughs> and I try to say for instead of fur. I don't think I say fur or sure anymore. Yeah, the big one that gets me. Uh, this is man. This, this is, is just it's ridiculous. So stimulating. Uh, this is how uh, com- uh, comfortable. What's, what, how do you say it? I, no, I, that's how I, how I 
force myself to say it when I was a kid. And most people will say comfortable. Comfortable. Yeah. That's, yeah. They're still saying it. Oh, comfortable. Comfortable. No, see, they're switching. They're moving the T to earlier in the word. Like people who comfortable. You ever heard boys, people say furniture? That one I have not heard. No, <laughs> I don't know. If that's maybe that's a St. Louis thing. Maybe it's a St. Louis thing. Or also, if you, I'm sure you've heard frustrated. No, you never heard anyone say frustrated. No, it's very you know what it is. Adorable. <laughs> no, frustrating. <laughs> um, Does it make you very uncomfortable? Uh, no. Uh, speaking of, okay, then we'll, we'll get to we'll get to movies and shit in a second. Okay. But my uh, high school girlfriend. This is not like a common mispronunciation. She said downstairs <laughs> like she couldn't not put that second like another n in there at the end of both she wanted an n at both of at the, at the end of both syllables downstairs so downstairs <laughs> <laughs> that's adorable uh i was in a uh okay so this is uh i was i was part of a play i was directing a play at my church back in uh, missouri and uh there was a uh, a line where a character has to, has to use the term smart mouth i, I have I told this You've story You've told this before? story. It's not probably been a while. on the podcast. You've told it to me enough times that I have trouble remembering. Oh, so smart mouth is the term. Like, don't smart mouth me. Like, that kind of thing. He always said smout marth. <laughs> smout marth, smart mouth. He said it so often. Admittedly, it's not a phrase you hear every day. But he said it so often that if ever I think about it, I need to stop and think what it is. And by the way, even after thinking, I'll probably get it wrong. Yeah. Smelt uh, Marth. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Speaking of now, my ex-girlfriend that you knew also had a thing mm-hmm. where, um, if, 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 if a word ended in NG, but wasn't like, not an ING, that's a different thing, but mm-hmm. a word like wrong or tongue, mm-hmm. she like couldn't pronounce the G. Wrong yeah, was I, Ron. Tongue yeah. was ton. Yeah. I've, uh, that I've heard a fair amount. Uh, uh, like t- uh, like we're talking, or we're walking. Sorry, we're walking and talking. <laughs> yeah, walking Phoenix, uh-huh. for example. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that I've heard people, and it gets me. When there's, uh, this is another one that always uh, sticks out to me. Like the word singer. Some people say singer. You know, really? Yeah, man. Oh man, uh, I, I don't remember any of this. Now, if it's someone's name singer like that might be just be how it's pronounced like mark singer of beastmaster i don't know who that is oh it's an actor who's in a movie called the beastmaster i was thinking of matt singer from film uh film spotting streaming video unit was he in beastmaster uh yeah yeah all right okay he was all right all right i thought i recognized him let's bring our guest in yeah this is uh uh i get uh, for some reason we didn't do this last year uh am i right uh yeah i think i went for a shorter time last okay. year and didn't write as much stuff but yeah you did write stuff, uh, yeah. a sundance recap for the website last year um but we didn't do an episode which we did two years ago so let's that we did let's all vow let's all s- slice open our palms and done and done hands, uh that we <laughs> do this every year <laughs> after uh our um uh let's see our video producer our contributor and our dedicated Sundance correspondent, Matt Warren. Hello, everyone. After he comes back, back from Sundance Thanks, every guys. year, this yes, is what we're going to do. Fresh off the plane, shaking snow from my shoulders, <laughs> waltzing into the studio. How cold was it? 
Uh, it was actually pretty warm out there this yeah. year. I remember, I think two years ago uh, was the biggest snow year. That was the year I remember doing a 360 in my dad's truck oh. <laughs> driving home on the freeway. That's terrifying. Yeah, I was like, because I I've, I've actually I've flipped a car out there in Utah before in uh-huh. the snow, and uh, it wasn't fun. And I, it, the beginning when the truck started to spin around, I was like, "Oh man, it's happening again." This is <laughs> this is what it feels like two seconds before you are upside down in an automobile. <laughs> but th- things turned out a little bit better that time. But I almost but got yeah. into a car accident the other day. Entirely my fault. Naturally. I was making a left turn out of a gas station parking lot, and I just I don't know where this woman came from. I just wasn't looking, but she was just coming straight, like you know. I was making the left turn across two lanes of traffic. She was coming toward me in the closer two lanes of traffic. And I just pulled out and I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> how did I not see this? I yeah. put on the brakes. There's nothing I could do. Yeah. I put on the brakes and then she slams on the brakes to the point where like it was like a movie or like in Batman when he makes the like Batmobile come to him and it mm-hmm. stops like it just from him. It came and I was like it was in slow motion essentially. I'm looking at an angle of a, you know, this woman through her windshield, like closer and an angle you're not even supposed to see a car when it's moving unless it's like there's a camera mounted on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's just like looking at me wide eyed and slamming on the brakes. And I'm like resigned to my fate. And then it like took me a second to realize she didn't hit me. Like she stopped so close to my car that I couldn't like looking down through my passenger or my driver's side window. I couldn't see the front of her car. It was right there wow. in front of me. And, and then, then you panicked and flipped her off. No, I rolled down the window. Like, I, I like, you know, uh, g- gingerly sort of scooched into where I should be, like, traffic-wise. I rolled down the window, and I said, I'm so sorry. And she was like, no, nope, you're good. And I was like, no, I'm so sorry. She was like, you're solid, man. Like, she was so unfazed by it that I ended up just like, laughing about it the rest of the day. But it was a stupid thing that I did. Yeah, um, it's weird. I didn't see it coming. Isn't it weird to think that, like, your life could be changed if not over right because you just happen to not do a thing right yeah something that one thing i missed you know something kind of small uh, in the grand scheme of things can change yours and somebody else's life yeah i recognize that that's like driver's ed like 101 is these little decisions can kill people yeah. but like when you when you're faced with it like that now this will get us into movies oh well it's okay did you take driver's ed? I did. Matthew? I did. Does anyone call you Matthew? Um, yeah, people call me Matthew okay. all the time. Um, did you watch the like blood on the highway type video things in traffic? In I, watched something, I watched something called the Kevin Tennell story, which I believe featured a young Sam Rockwell Ooh. as Kevin Tennell. And it is... Electrifying. Uh, he was good. He yeah. was very good, actually. Even at the time, <laughs> I was like, who's that? That's... This is very, and then I think at the time I remembered that's the guy from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He huh. was in he was in that. Hmm. But uh, Kevin Tennell, it's this story in which it's really quite horrifying. Uh, this guy who was probably like in his early twenties, maybe even late teens, he uh, was drunk driving as he, as we all do eventually. <laughs> you know what? I think I've seen this. Okay, I think I've seen this exact thing. And he he smashes into. Uh, a car driven by like a, a like a sixteen year old girl or something like that, killing her. So very sad, very sad. Uh, and then he goes to court, uh, and I don't remember. I don't remember like the specific, like the legal aspects of the punishment. Here's 
something. Here's the the important slash horrifying part of the these story. activist judges. I think I know where this is going. If I recall it, this, you could view it yeah. like that. Yeah, uh, the judge decided he wanted to make a, an example of him, and this and the judge, in conjunction with the victim's parents, mm-hmm. uh, put together this punishment where Kevin Tanell every like for like every Friday had to write a check for one dollar and send it to the parents like for I think it was like for like 16 years like for as many years as the girl was alive or something like that Mm -hmm. and so and that way it's just at least it's a once a week reminder that you are you did this thing and this person is not here anymore because of this thing you did so he did that and uh and then the big like act three thing is as he flips out and just writes every checkout that he needs to do for the yes. rest of his life and some mad like paper flowing, flowing like flying through the eye, yeah, the air fury and yeah. raining down on him. And they're he, like, no, 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 you can't do it that. You can't way. do it like that. And he tried to s- send them like one check for the entire amount, and they said no, it needs to be this once a week thing. And so then, so it's all that, and then it cuts to, like, the real adult, Kevin Tanell just talking about, like, I accept this, you know, it was hard for me, but I accept this responsibility, I made this terrible mistake, and blah, blah, blah. And then I had heard, turns out to not be true, but there was a rumor. That doesn't surprise me at all. No, 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 th- no this thing is true. <laughs> oh, this whole okay. story is true. That doesn't sound right. The next thing that I heard, uh, I had heard that Kevin Tanell killed himself, but I looked that up because <laughs> I was curious. Hey, so their plan worked. <laughs> Uh, And it turns out he did not. Uh, He is very much, uh, he's kind of a anti-drunk driving activist. So it didn't work. Yeah, I I guess, yeah. Um, And he did, I don't think he spent any time at, uh, in like an old dungeon asylum type thing, (laughs) which clearly is what they wanted. Uh, But yeah, so isn't that a terrifying story? Yeah, so so that sounds like the one both Tyler and I have seen. Okay. In terms of blood blood on the asphalt wise. um, My driver's ed teacher was a, was also a coach that's i don't know if that was the case at your school but like the coaches like also have to teach wood shop so. teacher for me ah okay yeah. so i took it i took a class separate from school oh okay um so those like blood on the highway like like videos are filmed they were films originally they're all like they're like real footage mm-hmm. and they're meant to scare us <laughs> but my teacher would sh- like show them to us as a treat if we were good <laughs> like, like all right if you're good this week friday we'll just watch these movies was your teacher hannibal Lecter? <laughs> um uh, which i thought was uh, but no your story about sam rock reminded me of another thing um that uh, we watched that was about train safety like about driving over train tracks mm-hmm. and it was hosted by michael gross and clearly it was recorded at the height of Family Ties popularity because he's saying, I know what you're thinking. Why is this famous TV actor talking to you about trains? And this is like, you know, a decade or more after Family Ties had been off the air. Um, so that was uh, that memory just came back. Anyway, um, there's some things we should talk about before we uh, uh, we get into the topic. The first one is tweakedaudio.com slash pretension, mm-hmm. which is where you go. That's T-W-E-A-K-E-D audio.com slash pretension. I'm imagining you know how to spell that if you listen to this podcast. Uh, they sent us some more awesome stuff, um, some more uh, earbuds. Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, it's, it's so it's – it's, they sent them to us so we can – 
check out that they're still professional quality. Yeah. Top of the line earbuds. Yeah. They still are very stylish. They send us earbuds with a, with a note that says, so far, so good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, so I, I'm happy to report Tweaked Audio still making great earbuds. Mm-hmm. Um, they're already at a low, low price to begin with. If you go to tweakedaudio.com slash pretension, you get that for one third off. And mm-hmm. You don't have to pay the shipping charges. Um, the other thing we, what you wanted to talk about was Alone Yet Not Alone, which you yeah. talked about last week. Yeah. So I a noticed, follow up. Matt, yeah. have you followed this story? Uh, a little a little bit. You've been too snowbound I, in I've been, Utah. Yeah, I've, I've been under, I've been inside an igloo without <laughs> Wi-Fi. So, <laughs> Tyler, if you could bring me up to speed, please. Um, so, Alone Yet Not Alone was, uh, as we mentioned last week, nominated for Best uh, Original Song. Uh for a film that no one saw, it made it grossed like one hundred fifty thousand dollars or something like that. It's a Christian film, uh, and then it turns out the guy that had—I think the guy that had written the song or co-written the song—was a former governor uh, in the in like the music branch of the academy or something mm-hmm. like that—and uh, had called in some favors or maybe just like sent the song to people and said, "Hey, just think about this when you when you do it." Uh, and we, you and I, weren't super thrilled at that, uh-huh. and thinking, eh, it's, "It's a little, you know, a little shady." shady dealings in hollywood what are the odds uh but uh but yeah and so uh, apparently the academy itself uh, agreed and they actually disqualified uh the the song and so they rescinded the nomination it will not be replaced with another one so there, yeah, they there didn't, are now they didn't four. bump up that song uh from oblivion <laughs> that m83 wrote <laughs> Wow. Did they do a song with lyrics for Oblivion? Uh, the, yeah, for the closing credits. I'm trying to think who they... They got someone to sing it, and I can't remember mm-hmm. who it is. It's not a bad song. I watched Oblivion, by the way. Not bad. I want to see it. I, You know, it looked enjoyable to me. Uh, honestly, like, I watched it in the middle of the day when I was home alone, which meant I could turn it up nice and loud. Mm-hmm. So I've got a decent-sized TV, Blu-ray player, a good sound system. And that did the trick, huh? Yeah, it was worth it for that. Fair enough. It's a fun movie. Can't argue with All that. Right. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, the... Uh, so what do you think about that? Um, I will say like the, the guy did put out a statement and you know what, to his credit, he was like, you know, he said, I, it didn't, I didn't think I was doing anything remarkably wrong, but now that they've ruled this way, I, I understand why they did and, and it make, you know, it, I understand. So it's like, okay, good for him. Uh, he also did say it's like, and then other people said, well, there's all kinds of campaigning and it, when you don't have the money of a you know, the Harvey Weinstein where you're basically calling in favors and just reminding everyone, Hey, you remember me? I'm Harvey Weinstein. Uh-huh. Nominate Philomena for best picture, please. Um, and so, uh, like somehow if you do something on a large enough scale, everyone's fine with it. So, uh, so right. that's what I've heard some things say. And then of course, invariably you can hear about this over on my other podcast, morethanonelesson.com, where uh, I just heard about this when I recorded a mini-sode last night. Um, it's only ever a matter of time before Christians say, oh, they're doing this because of the Christian thing. It's like, the guy himself doesn't think that. <laughs> so, yeah. like, also, it's a movie that no one knows about. Like, this is not... There are plenty of opportunities to smack Christians down in Hollywood. Uh, you know, like, for example, watch any movie where a Christian is depicted and is not directed by Robert Duvall, and you'll get there. <laughs> um, I'm joking, of course. I'm overstating. But, uh, but Did like, you ever see Higher Ground? The one that Vera I didn't. Directed? I didn't. And everyone says that I need to for think, the purposes of, the, of my other show. Yeah, I think you would um, find it very interesting. Yeah, I know that uh, friend of the show, Jason Eakin, I think he saw it and he said that he, he found it very intriguing uh, in many ways. And so, so, yes, I'm being hyperbolic, but it is one of those things that, like, give it it's just 
if Hollywood does anything even slightly negative towards something that is tangentially associated with Christianity. Now, Alone, Yet Not Alone is a Christian film. I didn't it know is. that. Yes. In, in what, if you had to compare it to one other Christian film, what would it be? Well, I would venture to say it's a lot like uh, one of the dozens, if not hundreds of Christian films I didn't see. I don't see them all, Matt. <laughs> I didn't see Alone, Yet Not Alone. Okay. In fact, by and large, I would say, though, yes, I am a Christian and a movie fan, although maybe because of that second one, I'm less likely to see this. But uh, aside from that, like, the odds, no matter who you're talking to, the odds are very much against that person having seen Alone Yet Not Alone. So. Um, is it, I know you haven't seen it, but um, is it like, there, there's a pretty much only one Christian movie that I've seen. It's called Time Changers. <laughs> time Changer. Time Changer. Yeah. Is it the is Alone Yet Not Alone like Time Changer? I don't think so. I think it's more along the lines of a fireproof or okay. a courageous. It now, might also be a documentary. I don't know. Now people who might not know somehow what Time Changer is. <laughs> it's about what? A guy a Christian guy from the like what year is it supposed to be at the beginning? Like turn of the century, I think. Okay. Like 1890s. Set, 1890s. That's what it is. Okay. okay he said so it to the 1990s. A Downton Abbey era Christian dude. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. He's sent forward somehow. Why is it? Like they know <laughs> that people have lost touch here's, with Jesus in the future or something? Here's what. Okay. Here's what it is. Because <laughs> I remember, I remember that uh, Paul Rodriguez is in it. He sure is. Yes. And uh, Gavin McLeod ah. from Love Boat. Oh. Um, if it was somebody that was relevant 20 years ago, <laughs> they will be. They, they, they have a flourishing career in Christian film now. Give it time. Michael Gross will show up. Big television <laughs> star Michael Gross. Um, no, it's uh, Time Changer what it is. It's this idea that uh, uh, this college professor, he is writing a – he is, a, he is a, a Christian. I think he works for a Christian university. And, uh, and he's writing a book talking about how you can – you can be like you can be a good person, or you can teach the principles of Jesus without ever attributing it to Jesus, and everything will be exactly the same. Everything will be fine. Uh, basically, saying that it doesn't matter. Like wisdom is wisdom, regardless of who says it. Uh, and so it's like, and that was is this, was this a TED talk? <laughs> it was like an early TED talk, yes. Okay. And so. Um, so yeah, uh, so that's that that's the central thing. So then someone how says, does he go to the future? I don't know. Some Gavin McLeod made a time machine and says, "Oh, you you should see the the results of if you, of you writing this book <laughs> and people stop attributing good things to Jesus." And it's like, d- d- have people stopped attributing good things to Jesus? <laughs> and so um, and so uh, so he goes to the future, and uh, I think the Onion. AV Club said it best where he says he went from a G-rated past to a PG-rated future and was horrified by what he saw. Um, He also, like, the thing, the main thing I remember about it is that he couldn't wrap his head around the fact that he was in the future and things were different. So anytime someone would mention a thing that they didn't have in the 1890s, he'd be like, what? Remote control? What is that? Jet lag? What is that? And just, like, nothing about it. Like, in theory, never sunk into it. Yeah. If any of us went to the future or the past or another country in the present we'd be like all right be cool yeah all right the problems with me <laughs> act yeah. like you've been there before yeah yeah do yeah. as the romans do oh but that's christian guy wouldn't want that okay so uh we're done with the alone yet not alone um to bring things down i want to talk about uh what 
happened at uh, film.com. I don't know if you follow this, but... Um, yeah, I saw this on Twitter today. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, I did not see it. Uh, David Ehrlich, a guy that I uh, have, I guess, met at Comic-Con, but who I'm a fan of uh, as, a, as a writer and as a former senior editor of film.com, <laughs> is, I guess, as of yesterday, no longer the editor of film.com. Hmm. Uh, he wrote a, a, a post about it. It was... Um, that was that was funny. Uh, I'm apparently I'm glad he's taking it in good humor. But I wanted to sort of, I know it might be too little, too late because we didn't really talk about Film.com very much. But uh, I wanted to give David props for his tenure over there and what Film.com was under his, uh, 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 I guess, um, leadership. Stewardship. Yeah, stewardship, stewardship is actually the word I was yes. looking for under his stewardship. Um, which it was basically the kind of film site that I like, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, I mean, uh, it, they've covered, you know, independent film and foreign mm-hmm. film and classic film more so than uh, the the sort of um, genre films that I think tend to get. You know, either major releases or genre films tend to get a lot more hits. I think. Yes. Um, and there are a few sites that do it very well, and there are but also a, a very a very sites. fun site too. It was an entertaining site to read. Yeah, and well. that's a very much the sorts of writers they would bring in, like Joe Reed, and, and you know, real funny guys. It's like very that. much in David's personality to to because um, he was also in the. What are you talking? About? For a moment, I thought you had just referred to yourself in the third person. Jesus Christ! And I was like, "What the <laughs> hell just happened?" I'm sorry. Because yeah, um, I listened, he had a podcast called Operation Kino, and now he has a new one that I haven't listened to, but I'm sure it's just as good. Uh, but it's, David's voice is very sort of like. Uh, as much as he is into the sort of you know, what could be the snobbier side of things, he has a very fun way of presenting it, and and uh, and can be very funny about it. And that's very much what the what the site was. You know, a lot of lists and stuff like you would see on every other uh, site, except for that these were lists about silent films. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it was uh, a really cool site, and I was really sad to hear uh, that um, it will probably become. Probably become less cool now. Did he say if he was let go or he st- he's stepping down? Uh, it seems like he was let go. Okay. Yeah, I think. I mean, he pretty, he used the word fired in, oh, okay. in the post that he wrote on uh, that was on IndieWire. Okay. So well, that's unfortunate. Yeah. So I wanted to. Uh, uh, I guess I'm not sure that poor one at. I'm not sure if we had done this a week ago. <laughs> maybe the people at Viacom. If I talked about a week ago about Film.com, maybe Viacom. You could have moved mountains. Yeah. What's that? You could have moved mountains. <laughs> yeah. So this is too little, too late. But uh, I wanted to sort of recognize the passing of a, a good era at Film.com, and it will become the tenth thing it's been since it's existed. Now. Um, uh, anyway, I just wanted to mention that. All right. So, let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. Let's talk about Sundance. Let's do it. Um, this is, uh, you said on the, uh, on, on the post you wrote, Matt, uh, on, the, on the part one, that you can find all three of um, Matt's, uh, I guess, journals, diary entries. Yeah, I didn't know. From to, Sundance. I didn't know. We, you guys call, you just call them part one, part two, part three, which I thought was a good way to do it. Because they're yeah. not really journals, because they're not grouped yeah. by day or whatever yeah because originally when you submitted you submitted it as day one but i didn't i didn't want that to be misleading because because your day one wasn't the first day of the festival what what i did this year and what i did last year was i went to the back half of the festival and for people who don't know how sundance works it basically goes from 
uh, a Thursday to all the way through the following Sunday. So it's it's over a week and a half long. But the the part that is really the shit show with all the all the filmmakers and journalists and press people and uh, sponsor big sponsor tents and parties and stuff that basically is all wrapped up pretty much by I would say the Monday following the opening weekend. So it's actually surprisingly a little bit of a ghost town uh, from from Tuesday through the the final Sunday, hmm. and that's that's been that's been the time I've been out there the last couple of years, uh, mostly because you know I I've I've been to Sundance a bunch before. That's so, what I was so, going to ask. This yeah. is your seventeenth or something. Yeah, um, as I as I never get tired of telling people, I I grew up in Park City. I'm uh-huh. a I'm a native Parkite, a townie, uh, a townie. Yeah, a Park City townie. Um, and, and so I, uh, I, I grew up there and the Eccles, which is the big auditorium there is actually my high school's auditorium. Uh-huh. So it's the, the place where I've seen my brother and sister graduate. It was sunny when I graduated. So we did it on the football field. But, um, so as far back as high school, I would, you know, skip class, sneak in through a back door, go up to the balcony and, and catch Sundance stuff. That's was sort of the beginning of how I got into film in general and, uh, in independent film in particular. Um, so, so I've been going there, uh, sort of casually, casually until I got to college. And then I, uh, got even more into movies when I became a film student. And from that point on, this was about 10 years ago. It was, that's when the kind of real serious, uh, attending and, and going to the screenings happened for me. Where I was sort of like paying attention to both the, you know, the the narratives that were happening mm-hmm. uh, of of the different, um, you know, and the, following the buzz and listening to what people had to say. That's when that's when that really began. So, I've been going out there for a long time. Do you find that um, going in the sort of second half that you have a, a clearer idea of what you want to see because you've uh, heard <laughs> you, you have a clear idea of what you want to see, but what you get to see is really dependent on what tickets are still available. And um, they didn't even used to sell tickets online until like relatively late in the internet game. Uh, and so, so now when you go on there, it everything pretty much sells out immediately, uh-huh. and the entire site crashes <laughs> like the second tickets go on sale. So it, it's the it's my second year getting tickets online. Um, and it, it last year I was panicked because it was like, Oh my god, what's happening to the site? I'm getting this like 404 error message. And this year I'm like, Ah, they'll clean it up in like about 40 minutes. Uh-huh. And sure enough, like 40 minutes later, you go on there, there are tickets available, but you can, you know, you can, uh, uh, you just kind of have to like grab what's still available. Right. So, yeah, that's uh, that's what I was curious about. So, uh, you saw yeah, a total of how many movies? I only saw nine this year. You only year. saw nine. Uh, how many let's of get those? Into, oh, let's get into the movies. Yeah, what you're saying? Well, I was going that's to ask. You were saying. Well, it's a it's kind of a broad question before we get into that. Oh, um, okay. Of those nine, uh, how many of them were? Did you specifically want to see, and how many of them did you just wind up seeing? Um, you know, my attitude has always been, I'll just take whatever I can get. I, you know, cause I, I've looked at the festival program beforehand and there are obviously things that jump out to me, like the new Jim Jarmusch movie right. or, 
the new movie from the Your Next Guys. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that. But I, I never go into it with the attitude of, uh, I have to see this. I'm going to try to see this. You know, like I said, I have X amount of dollars I can spend on tickets. X amount of movies are available and I just get them. But uh, so I, and I'm used to going into it with an open mind. So I'm usually, if I can get a variety of films, I'm usually pretty happy with the stuff that I see because there are so many different kinds of movies at Sundance, you know, to balance your Sundance diet. Uh, my goal is always to see, you know, documentaries and foreign things and fun genre stuff and dramas. So if I can get enough of each one of those in, I'm I'm usually happy. I don't really fret too much about what the specific titles are because it's out of your control for the most part. All right. I kind well, of found uh, taking that approach when I went to Los Angeles Film Festival um, this past June of just sort of like seeing what I could get. Like uh, I missed some of the buzzier stuff like uh, Short Term 12, which I eventually saw and is – way way overrated but we can talk about that some other time um but i ended up like stumbling upon things like um uh the expedition to the end of the world which i've talked about on the on this podcast before a movie called my sister's quinceanera that uh, i hope gets seen more but uh i think i guess in my experience that's a a good way to uh, sort of scattershot approach to film festivals is a uh can be fruitful I kind of like just the idea of that in general. And I I think I first heard, I first thought about this, uh, David, when you would talk about your Netflix uh, disc subscription, (laughs) which is you would make, admittedly, it was all stuff that you put on the list, but you would not change the order of your list. Whatever you got is, is what you're going to watch. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't change based on how you feel now. It's like at yeah. some point in my life, I wanted to watch this. I'm watching it now. Yeah. It doesn't matter how I feel at the moment. This is what I'm watching next. Yeah. And that's helpful. But also there were times, and by the way, I still do get one disc. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it, what happens is now I get in and it's like, oh, why did I want to see this? And then it just sits there forever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Can you think of an example? I know that we're, we're off topic a little bit. We'll jump. Oh, I watched, uh, uh, I see this is the, the thing. The, the other like downside of that is that I put stuff in there thinking, this isn't my problem. I don't actually have to watch this. So uh, I, I know I watched The Ugly Truth starring Catherine Heigl and Gerard Butler. <laughs> oh. and, and I did that one sat there for a while, and I was like, fuck it, I am watching this. <laughs> and it is horrible. Yeah. It is really, really bad. But now I wouldn't do that anymore because we do press screenings. So mm-hmm. now I like see shitty movies all the time <laughs> yeah i don't just, have to like I, force myself to watch i just saw I that just awkward ha- moment i just happened to see oh. your 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 review of that oh man <laughs> i like i ran into our friend aaron newworth uh, after the screening uh from the out now podcast and from uh why so blue.com uh and i think like i must have looked like i just like seen uh, uh, a uh ghost. Or, or like an execution like, oh, okay. <laughs> I think I, I, I think I like he gave me a look. And I was like, I was like, oh, that was that was something. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I, that was a really really bad movie. You were like, uh, I just rewatched Predator. You're like Bill Duke after uh, seeing <laughs> the Predator for the first time. Well, do, do you know what I always think firing of? into the theater with a minigun in situations like that? The thing I always think of, but I don't really make the reference because so few people know it. But there's a Stephen King short story called The Jaunt. I don't know if anyone yeah. knows. Yeah, where he's trapped it, it, well, in the inner space like limbo, forever. Yeah, yeah basically in it's in the future and they've 
Um, Man, I've seen the develop- jaunt. I've seen your blood on the asphalt movie. <laughs> um, I'm nailing is, it. Yeah, it's a future where they've developed this sort of interstellar travel um, that can happen almost instantaneous, where where they just put people through a portal and then they come out the other side and like and there's you know um, colonies on Mars and stuff in this future or whatever. Um, and uh, so you hear while this family is essentially in like it's like an airport, they're waiting to go. They're, the dad is telling the story of how this thing was invented and how it came about. And they discovered the thing and then they tried to like sort of, um, uh, you know, putting animals through it first and they would like come through but immediately die. Mm-hmm. And they eventually tried uh, um, basically offered this guy who was like uh, on death row or something. He was, They were like, hey, why don't you, you know, we'll let you go free if you'll go through this thing and see what happens. <laughs> and he went through and he came out aged like a thousand years and then died immediately yeah uh and the son in this family but and so basically the way they found a way around this is if you're unconscious then you don't age so they basically everyone takes like this gas and it knocks them completely out right before and then they just go through and they wake up on the other side and it's fine but the son is a naturally curious sort he's a young person and he decides to hold his breath when they put the gas over him and uh so he goes through the family, and then you pick up the family on the other side, like freaking out, like because the like flight attendants, whatever they would be called, like the, the people who work the place know what happened, and they're like, "Oh my god, what happened?" And so this kid comes out again, aged thousands of years, and he says, "Longer than you think, Dad," and then he dies, <laughs> and it's it has stuck with me my entire life. It's it's a super haunting story. I, 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 if you read horrible. it, you won't ever forget it. Yes, um, and, and idea of like anyway, the skeleton key collection. Uh, or something? I, I don't think know. A night shift? Is it a night shift? Oh, that could be it, yeah. Uh, it's in the night shift or a skeleton crew. What, one of the yeah. good ones, yeah. And yeah, the, it's and not in Nightmares and Dreamscapes, and uh, there were probably short stories after Nightmares and Dreamscapes, but Nightmares and Dreamscapes was the last collection I read, but this was an older one than that. It's interesting uh, anyway, because... So, so anyways, really this movie shitty, fucked you up that bad. Whenever, yeah. yeah, whenever I see a really shitty movie, I always want to say, I'm like that kid at the end of the John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> That's a that's a deep cut of life. <laughs> that one, yeah. That that's interesting. The idea of uh, of I know that I, I recognize the jaunt was not at Sundance this year, uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that reminds me the the idea of uh, safe transport if you're sl- if you're asleep. Yeah. it's like the Langoliers, also written by Stephen King. Oh right, yeah. Which I I thought I think mm-hmm. is interesting. So okay, um, let's get to the movie. Moving on. Okay, uh, the first it. one you saw was called Appropriate Behavior. And it was directed by Desiree Akavan, I Akavan? believe it's pronounced. Okay. I was about to ask. Um, so, so uh, Appropriate Behavior um, was this pretty good like little uh, movie that played in the Next category, which um, for, for those of you who don't know, Next is sort of this, this new competition category Sundance instituted to sort of get back to its maverick indie film roots how many years has next been uh i think it's been going since 2010 maybe okay. 20 2009 maybe 2010 uh but so this is you know cheap digital photography small budgets unknowns but behind the camera and in front of the camera and um what it's really good for is sort of showcasing new talent and uh, you know, Sundance is nothing but if not a whore for like the hot new name on in the filmmaking world. So uh, you could sort of tell that uh, this movie was is sort of being positioned as sort of the the launching pad or calling card for this woman, uh, Desiree Akavan, who um, uh, 
has done some web series stuff. Um, and she's, she's based in Brooklyn. I think she's in her late twenties, but her, her background is she's, uh, Iranian American, I think second generation and, uh, bisexual and, um, and, you know, and so this, this is sort of just a slice of life. I'm guessing it's probably sort of autobiographical of, and she stars in it and she stars in it. Yeah. She's the writer and director and the star of it. Um, and it just basically, you know, follows her her sort of recovery from a breakup with her girlfriend, trying to figure her shit out, get a job, get her life together. Um, I called it uh, I called it Francis Shaw on Twitter, <laughs> <laughs> which even I thought was was racist. But but the the uh, the the movie's actual Twitter feed picked that up and said it was like the best description of their film yet. So <laughs> so that that kind of gives you an idea of of basically what it covers. And you know, obviously, girls on HBO covers a mm-hmm. lot of the the kind of mm-hmm. same area. So it's it's it, it was a it was a pretty good movie. Um, I, w- I definitely wouldn't call it great, but it's solid like three star kind of kind of uh, showcase for this this woman's talents. Um, now, did you track uh, sort of? Um, which of these movies got distribution or, or if we're going to be able to see any of these anytime soon. No, I, I don't pay attention to that stuff at <laughs> That's all. That's completely fine with me. <laughs> I wouldn't either. Um, uh, but I think I, I feel like, I, I feel like this one did. Um, and Scott adds it is in it. If I'm reading this correctly. Yeah. He has a, like a, like a lot of the time these, these smaller next movies will have, you can tell like a slightly bigger name that someone's, someone's roommate met in improv class <laughs> and they can get for like an afternoon. So he's, right. he's, he's, uh, he's in a few different scenes spread out through the movie, but you can almost tell just by watching it that they probably shot them all out in one day, but, um, he's good in it. Um, all, all the acting is pretty good, really good performances across, across the board. And it's a, it's, it's an enjoyable movie. I wouldn't say it's, it's totally, totally original, you know, mm-hmm. especially based on a lot of the stuff that's, in the zeitgeist right now, um, the, uh, you know, Broad City, I think, is on Comedy Central. Right. Similar territory. But um, uh, I also, you, oh, go ahead. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm just saying, but her, her, you know, her sort of specific background is is different than the other stuff that's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I also noticed that because uh, you brought us uh, Sundance uh, booklets, programs, I guess. Pro- programs. Um, I noticed that it's only 82 minutes, which is, I again, love- something that I've noticed from going to a couple of festivals is that like these younger directors are generally not the ones making the two hour and 40 minute opuses. Like film festival movies are on the whole shorter than the movies that get all the awards at the end of the year. Do you have a theory Uh, as to why younger, less proven filmmakers don't spend quite as much time? I I think a lot of it might be budgetary. You think so? Uh, Okay. But, um, they're just not as like they haven't been told they're great there we for go. their yeah. entire lives. Yes, you, you know. Yeah. yeah, that's. I had this thought. It's just you know when you're a director that's very successful. I mean, even if you're genuinely great, that's fine. Yeah. But like your entire life is spent with people saying, "No, keep going." Yeah, and so yeah. you know you'll make a three hour movie or something yeah, like and, that. Yeah, then you don't blink at the idea that your fucking batman movie is two hours and 40 minutes long <laughs> um, because everyone's been telling you how great you well i mean yeah we've come a long way from uh, following yeah on that yeah. one yeah in these cases i mean if these people are if these filmmakers are savvy enough to be getting their movies into sundance in the first place they know that sort of a, a key element of their career building is going to be to you know 
create something that's effective uh, as an entertainment tool, you know, mm-hmm. um, instead of, you know, forcing people to slog through something a little longer, a little headier. So a lot of these a lot of these first time out sort of films are, are sort of more geared towards being purely entertaining, hmm. um, at least in my experience. And I wonder, because I'm looking at the at the program and, you know, a lot of these... Uh I don't. I, I don't think I knew this about Sundance. A lot of these show several times over the. Oh yeah, the they, they, they show constantly. So if, maybe if your short, if your film is shorter, might be an opportunity to be shown once or twice more. I don't know. Yeah. It's like, hey, we got a. It's like, oh, we got an eighty-five minute. Uh, yeah, I'm, slot here. It's like, oh, well, this one's eighty-two. Well, I mean, Sundance happens in theaters around Park City, and mm-hmm. these theaters have the same programming concerns as any other theater in terms of uh, turnover and right. um, Sundance itself is a nonprofit, but they do charge money for the tickets. So mm-hmm. the, the more, the more screenings they can slot into any venue, it's more revenue. Yeah. Um, well, let's move on to document to a documentary you saw yeah. called the internet's own boy, the story of Aaron Swartz. Yeah. And, I, and based on, well, based on the screen caps here and that I've seen online, most of it has to do with pictures of its subject looking at the camera. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all the pictures are. Well, it's, I, I mean, how, do, you, do you guys know anything about Aaron Swartz? Well, I read your thing. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, Were you I familiar that. with his story beforehand? No, no not, not really. I was familiar with his name yeah. and, view, and that he was viewed as a, as a tragic figure he, online. Yeah. Well, he, um, he uh, spoiler alert, he killed himself, uh, I think, a a little over a year ago. It's a fairly, fairly recent thing. I didn't realize it was a recent. Yeah. Um, and he, his, and this is, you know, I'm not super plugged into the technology or, or internet or, you know, the Ted talk world, but, um, I, I, according to this documentary and, and what I've learned about him since then, he was this sort of, um, this sort of prodigy computer programmer kid, uh, who, had a hand in a creation, the creation of like a lot of important um, emerging technologies uh, in the web over the last few years. Um, and I think he was like a co-founder of Reddit and helped develop like the Creative Commons licensing that mm-hmm. is uh, common on a lot of uh, media sites. Oh. And, um, you know, was basically on track to be an entrepreneur in the tech sphere or in the kind of social network Mark Zuckerberg kind of way, but shifted his focus and he got, um, got involved in sort of activist politics and social justice issues. And, um, uh, a thing he, you know, and it was on track for a career in the white house, you know, as a staffer, if nothing else, but Mm. that's sort of the direction he was heading. But his, um, a, a big thing he became concerned with was, um, making, uh, was, because I guess, and this is this is all stuff I learned from watching this documentary, and I'm mm-hmm. going to do my best to sort of regurgitate it here. But uh, like legal records, a lot of times, as well as sort of academic journals uh, and um, information that's developed through university research, is not uh, available to the public in the ways that you would think they are. A lot of times they the the information is data exists behind behind the paywalls of these for profit companies, so, and, like you mean like private universities uh, and public universities. So too. whose paywall is behind if it's a public university? Uh, I th- I think it's just these sort of 
te- uh, technology company gatekeepers, and now we're now okay. we're we're getting into an area where I can't really okay. explain it in detail. So I'm not I'm not going to try to. But uh, so he was, you know, it, he was basically like hacking and trying to like get this information out and put it up online. Um, and and they, uh, and I think especially the, um, when he was trying to pull records from MIT's library. Uh, the university, I think, was pretty neutral about it, but the the um, the prosecutors, like the federal prosecutors, I think, decided to make an example of them uh, to kind of stand up against hackers and stuff. And this is following all the stuff that's happened over the last decade with anonymous and mm-hmm. and hacker groups like that. So they were they were you know putting him in a position where he was basically going to looking at like 30 to 40 years in jail hmm. for what he was for what he'd been doing and you know derailing his entire life and career and uh and you know this this is a this is a, it's a biased documentary but I don't think it's out you know I don't think it's got an outrageous angle to it but it makes the case that it was this sort of overzealous prosecution that drove him to kill himself I think he was like 26 or 27 something yeah, like that yeah it says 26 yeah um, and as a documentary, it's, it's a, it's a good, you know, it's a compelling story. I don't know if the, the form of the documentary matches the, the subject matter. Um, but you know, it doesn't really need to, cause the story is strong enough on its own, but it's mm-hmm. like a lot of talking heads with, you know, uh, important technological, uh, personalities and web, web personalities and things. Is it hard to? I mean, obviously, it's it is a, a very human story in many ways. But is it is it the kind of thing that if you are not very technically savvy, like you're going to be a little bit left behind for portions of it, or are, are you able to follow it for the most part? I, I think if you're a, a relatively intelligent person, if you know if you have any experience online. Mm-hmm. Um, you should have enough of a, a baseline knowledge of okay. all this stuff, but it actually does a it does a good job of lucidly kind of walking you through what exactly the situation was, what what the perceived problem with it was from Swartz's perspective, and okay. what he was doing to kind of uh, and basically what his actions were. And okay. like I said, it makes sense in the moment when you're watching the movie, but mm-hmm. don't don't ask me to explain explain it in detail right now because i think a lot of good documentaries like i'm thinking of two by the same director right now are they the same director Maybe they're not um but there was we steal secrets uh last year yeah mm-hmm. and then it, uh which was pretty good and then a couple a couple years ago there was inside job which was amazing and are those the same people the well, same guy alex gibney did he did we steal secrets did yeah. he do inside job i don't know which actually. one is inside job remind me of the subject matter <clears throat> that's about the essentially the um See, this is what I'm talking about is that it's like <laughs> in the moment you're like, yeah, I'm fucking pissed about all this. <laughs> and then like it's hard to explain. But it's about like the financial collapse of 2008. Oh, yeah. And, I think that is Gibney too. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, how it was an inside job because yeah. all the bankers fucking caused it. <laughs> oh, man. Corporations. Absolutely. We should not provide them with any government help. <laughs> um, let's move on. <laughs> To, uh, but, but that's a good documentary. It, it seems like the kind of thing that'll turn up on Netflix at some point. So I was going I to ask: then. Is I mean, you know, like David just mentioned, uh, like talking about you know Inside Job, and and you know I know that I felt this way about movies like Capturing the Freedmen's and uh, yeah. Enron, Smartest Guys in the Room, and stuff like that. Did you find yourself emotionally invested 
not merely in, you know, who Aaron Swartz was, but also just angry at what happened. Like, is it just, is it just kind of a straightforward telling of the events or do you just, does it understand like this? Does it, it doesn't try to make you feel angry, but it doesn't understand like, yeah, this is a bad thing. What happened? Yeah. I I would say the, the goal of the film is very much to like get you pissed off about this. Um, but I, I have a fairly hardened heart, so fair. <laughs> it, it only penetrated so deeply, but okay. I mean, it is it is a sad story, and and uh, it sound it it you know he was doing important things that are no more, unfortunately. Yeah. So. Hmm. Uh, well, um, let's move on to a, a movie that I had actually heard of beforehand and was and excited to hear about um, Anton Corbin's uh, A Most Wanted Man. It's so good. It's is re- it really? Because yeah. I'm a. Uh, I mean, everyone liked Control. Um, the American was a bit of a, uh, a divisive film. I was a huge... I think it made my top 10 that year. I think so, yeah. I was a huge fan of it. So I'm super excited about A Most Wanted Man. So tell us. Well, I haven't actually seen the American... Um, I almost call it The Americans. <laughs> right. That, that show that's on FX. That's that's a good show. Uh, that's what I hear. It. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I like Control okay. It's a little, it's a little slow, a little boring. Um, but this, this was a really good, this is, uh, Anton Corbin, the former music video director and photographer. This is his third feature film. And, uh, it's a really good, like really taut, like spy thriller. But, 121 minutes. He's getting up there a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> he used to watch himself. <laughs> he, is that like the cusp? Is He's that crossed like, the two hour mark. He's yeah. crossed the two hour Rubicon. <laughs> I, I think this movie is paced pretty well though it didn't it didn't feel that long um it's it's a really good it's it's a really good uh sort of espionage thriller it it kind of is about uh philip seymour hoffman it is one of, one of his most bloated and rumpled performances yet <laughs> <laughs> he's always like eight percent more bloated and rumpled in each in each movie <laughs> right um but he it although i will say it, it, it uses one of my least favorite uh, cinematic conventions, which is like the movie that takes place in a foreign country and all the characters are foreign, but they just speak English with the <laughs> accent of the the country. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it is it is guilty of that. But um, Philip Seymour Hoffman plays this sort of like mid level, um, I guess, counterterrorism agent in uh, in I think it's Hamburg is the city they're in, um, and there's this young sort of Chechen refugee. Um, this, this young Muslim, uh, guy who comes over and is basically loose on the streets of Hamburg and, and I, I don't recall exactly how they are made aware of him, but basically, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's agency becomes aware of this guy and starts tracking him. And, um, I, I, I really, I really liked like how, in, how intelligent the movie was cause it, it's, it's the sort of it's this, it's a spy movie, but it's a lot of what the plot revolves around is trying to determine if there's actually anything to worry about. Like <laughs> if this, if this guy is even like up to something, but it's, it's, well, that's a John yeah. Le Carre, uh, special, like is it, Tinker not, Taylor soldier spy. And then the spy who came in from the cold. Yeah. Like, it just that sort of thing where and this is based you, on a John Le Carre yeah. book. I, I don't know if we said that. But. Well, I happen to read it in the uh, in the uh, description, but yeah. So we should mention that uh, it's and I, I like that he's catching on. 
Uh, not that I've read any of his stuff, but I've been a fan f- of uh, The Spy Who Came In From The Cold for yeah. a long time. And I didn't love Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy when I first I saw did. it, but it, it has grown on me, and now I now I own it. But uh, Also, it was on my top ten list of that year. I believe so. Yes, that's right. It's a different because, year than The American, I think. Uh, I, I believe so, yes. Okay. yes. Um, I remember that year you enjoyed Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and I liked Martha Marcy May Marlene. Um <laughs> Which so, I eventually liked. It was a really annoying yeah. year, is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but just that idea of, yes, there's intrigue and yes, there's suspense, but underneath it all is like this, is this, is a, is doubt and sadness and loneliness and just... Uh, so you have seen this movie. <laughs> it, right, yeah. I feel like I have because that's, that seems to be what he specializes in and I like that. I, I like the idea of it. It's a different kind of thriller. Yeah. And any thriller that has Philip Seymour Hoffman as your protagonist, I'm on board with that. I mean, and this has got a great cast, too. Um, Robin Wright is in it mm-hmm. uh, as a CIA agent. Uh, Daniel Bruhl. Oh, I like him. Rachel McAdams. Willem Dafoe is in there. All right. Uh, so it's got it's got a packed ca- uh, cast. So, um, But, yeah, I, I enjoyed it a lot. It, it kind of like, when it started, it, it almost seemed like it was... Uh, taking itself a little bit too seriously for what the subject matter was, because it, it 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 it, but then it it um, as the plot kind of unfolds, it it sort of rose in my estimation to where its its narrative was at meeting its form. I think so. Mm-hmm. So it 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 uh, it's a slow build and um, it has a has a really great ending. And like I said, it's interesting in the way that. It sort of sets up this mystery or this non-mystery, uh, and it, you know it's it's tense without any sort of over, there's very little like overt violence. It's like a lot of suspense and not a lot of like people getting punched or shot. So, hmm. did you ever see a movie called uh, The Tailor of Panama? I've heard of it. It's got uh, Jeffrey Rush and uh, Pierce Brosnan in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really liked that movie, and it's I I, I like. Uh, First off, I've I've always liked suspense thrillers, but as I've gotten older, I've really come to love movies that like well, really of any genre that find a way to subvert that genre, or at least dig deeper and re- and ask different questions than we're used to asking within that genre. And Taylor yeah. Panama always kind of reminded me of that. I've I've heard that described as like the the best non James Bond James Bond movie. It does, yes. It does yeah. kind of feel like that, partially because Pierce Brosnan's in it. But and I think uh, he had like creative control over that too. Did he really? I think okay. it was like a producer or something. I, don't I know. know very little uh, about it because uh, I saw it at a time where I really liked it, and I remember some things very clearly about it. But I was not incredibly inquisitive yet at the time. Right. So um, now, a most wanted man. I'm looking at the the program again here. Uh, is listed as a premiere. Does that mean it's out of competition? Yeah, that means out of competition, and usually that means bigger movies with stars, established directors, uh, established directors uh, yeah. that already have distribution, or or some are frequently from major studios, even. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I'm looking at some of the other, some of the other uh, premieres. There's the new John Michael McDonough. There's the new Lynn Shelton film, a film directed by William H Macy. The Raid Two, Michael Winterbottom's film. So yeah, lots of. That, yeah, that Michael Winterbottom film is the sequel to The Trip, actually. Oh, cool. yeah. hmm. The new Greg Araki. I'm sure Tyler is very stoked about that. Um, I didn't see Kaboom. It could be great. I saw Kaboom. It's not great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I stand um, corrected. 
Well, uh, I mean, the word on white white bird in the blizzard, that's what it's called? Yeah. Is that it's more mysterious skin than, you know, totally fucked up. Really. All right. Um, I love mysterious skin, so. So, so that, okay, getting into the dramatic competition then, uh, let's talk about uh, Jamie Marks is dead. Yeah, um, this was, you know, I, I, it was a, it was a really good year for Sundance overall, um, and I liked pretty much everything I saw. But if I had to rank things, this would maybe be close to the bottom okay. Okay. of the stuff that I saw this year. Um, it, it kind of, it, it's, uh, I think it's guilty of what I, I just said, a most wanted man uh, achieved, which is the, the tone is too heavy for what the actual material is mm. supporting. Um, and it's sort of, it's a, it's a ghost story about, uh, this bullied high school kid who's murdered and then his ghost starts appearing to, um, his, not really his friend, but like a kid who was, you know, kinder to him than most of the other kids at the school. And, uh, and then, you know, they sort of, uh, this sort of becomes like me and my ghost best friend sort of a movie for a little bit and then it gets a little it gets a little lumpy at the end and i think the biggest problem with it is it didn't really um it didn't really define its supernatural mythology that well Mm -hmm. like what you know not everything is to be spelled out but it didn't really seem like the filmmakers even had an idea of like what what they were trying to do with um their depiction of the afterlife and like this sort of like ghost community. Um, the writer and director is Carter Smith. What has he, he done before? His, he was at Sundance with a short film called bug crush a few years ago, but okay. his big credit is, um, he directed that movie, the ruins. Like, uh, it was a paramount horror movie that came out. Oh, yes, about that five, was not very good. Ago. Yeah. And that book is really good. <laughs> yeah. Based on a book by the guy who wrote A Civil Plan. Yeah, Scott, Scott Smith. Smith. Yeah. So he yeah, he so he has he has major studio credentials. Um now did you ask about Carter Smith because you thought that you might be related to him? Yeah, that's <laughs> that's how we think. <laughs> you when you say we you mean the Smith clan, the worldwide Smith clan? Yeah. Yeah, we all have little, you know, we wink at each other. We can tell. We can tell when we <laughs> well, walk down the street, like, there goes a Smith. It's, it's Common, funny. nondescript. I can always tell a Smith when I see one. Well, it's funny. Like, I'm I'm from Utah, and um, it's true that most of the Smiths there are descended from Joseph Smith, mm. the the right. Mormon leader. Um, so, in, in that case, at least, those guys are all related. Um, but... Jamie Marks is dead. Okay, not great. Um, it was. It's a good looking movie. It. I feel like, uh, one of my one of the things that I didn't love about it was I felt like it borrowed a lot of its look from other movies that I like more. Um, like the ruins. <laughs> I never saw the ruins. <laughs> that's a frequently passed over by. That's frequently vetoed by my wife when we're looking for things to watch on Netflix. <laughs> um, but you know when they find the. It, it takes. I don't know if it takes place in the Pacific Northwest, but it takes place in an environment like that. And when they find this kind of pale body on the riverbanks, it's impossible not to think of like Laura Palmer and Twin right. Peaks, or mm-hmm. or even like River's Edge. Yeah, you know. Uh, David, and, have, you ever, have you ever seen River's Edge? I never have. Oh, it's, it's so good. It's really great. That's what I hear. Do yeah. you enjoy Crazy Ass Crispin Glover? That's what, which I, is to say Crispin Glover. Yeah, that's my favorite. I, I, I frequently cite Crispin Glover's performance. In that is my favorite. 
screen performance ever in the history <laughs> of movies. So. He is pretty great. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy as hell, of course. Yeah. But but that's the thing. It's like okay, crazy as hell. But is it the craziest Crispin Glover performance I've ever seen? No, that would be Willard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I never saw that one either. It's it's crazy. Yeah, uh, I like he's got a small uh, but memorable part in Wild at Heart, in a, like a mm. flashback. Yeah. It's that's a very good it's one. One of, one of the few good parts of that movie. He's in. <laughs> he's in. Uh, uh, we we profiled Elmore Leonard, and he was in the film adaptation, the not good film adaptation of uh, Freaky Deaky, and he is. Uh, well, batshit crazy in it, as one would assume. Uh, he's also in Charlie's Angels. That's right. And he does a little dance, right? Does he do a little dance? Or is that someone else? No, Sam Rockwell does Sam a dance. Sam Rockwell does a dance. Yes, yes. Um, his thing in Charlie's Angels is that he smokes, and they do a thing like he like takes a drag of a cigarette and then like exhales through his nose as he quickly turns and walks away, so the smoke pours over both his shoulders as he's walking away. <laughs> Uh, it's pretty a pretty cool, cool little, yeah. <laughs> little moment. Jinx. Um, <laughs> okay, um, I wanted before we get to the next one because um, the next one is a non-U.S. film. It's a world cinema. Yeah, it, uh, it, mm-hmm. and I wanted to ask you because Sundance's reputation definitely has more to do with American independent film. Uh, what is the world cinema presence like there? Well, um, for. There's a world cinema branch or arm of all of the all of the categories except for I think premiere and next. So there's a world dramatic category mm-hmm. and there's a world uh, documentary category. Um, and you know people like these. Uh, I think I think especially I think the I think the world cinema documentaries are a little more ghettoized. It seems to me than the than the fiction films. Um, it, it seems, it seems like people see the, the films that play in the world dramatic category, uh, with kind of as much enthusiasm as they do the, the American ones. But I'm surprised to hear that. Cause I was wondering if, um, cause I, I, what I, I wasn't commenting on the, the, the attendees, I was wondering more if world films get submitted to Sundance, um, in the same way that. Uh, the American ones do because of because of Sundance's reputation as a U.S. Uh, independent film, you know, breeding ground. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what the process is. I know that Sundance does a lot of filmmaker outreach, and I wouldn't be surprised if they had a department kind of devoted to. Um, in fact, I know this for a fact because another one of the movies I saw was a world documentary thing, and um, the woman from the um, programming committee who who selected it kind of talked a little bit about their process but it sounds like they're actually sending out delegates to to uh to foreign countries and then dealing with those those countries governments to kind of uh, if they have like a national film council or something to kind of like um call through product that's going on in in their states that that might uh that might make sense to be showcased at sundance um a moment ago you mentioned so world cinema documentary competition that's what we're dealing with at the moment and that it's not not remarkably well attended or or well everything's well attended because everything sells out but i would say just in terms of it's um, not a priority it's not a priority a yeah do you think that's because and this thing i i, I really don't know much about uh, sundance so this is going to sound probably overly judgmental of something i have no right to judge 
But um, do you think it is because Sundance is such a scene mm-hmm. uh, that you know you want to like, people want to the movies that become priority are the ones that people are going that they that you know people are going to be talking about, and no one's going to be talking about this foreign language documentary as opposed to you know the latest Jim Jarmusch not that a lot of people are going to be talking about that but in yeah, certain circles but comparatively yeah no I, th- I think you're probably right you know um, it is it is uh, because because Sundance's roots are kind of more just in emerging American filmmaking mm-hmm. it's never been a real core part of the festival um, or or a core part of what what the audiences there are are mostly concerned with like you said, it's just not a priority, at least in my estimation. I mean, I'm sure there are people who that's their favorite part of the festival, but it's, yeah. you know, personally, it's never been my favorite part. And I, I think I'm representative of a lot of people who go to the festival. Well, you just like to be there. You like to be part of the scene. You I like, like to, be part to hobnob. Of the scene. That's you all over. I like to get brunch with my mom. <laughs> uh, so what did you see? What, uh, you, and, what? Uh, real quick, are you seeing all these alone or do as a townie, do you have friends and family who come to the movies with you uh, i saw them all alone this year i've i've um i've gone with friends before but i you know when you're when you're in the 30s there's not a lot of people left in the hometowns usually <laughs> oh right so uh there aren't there are a lot of people left there that that um that i know super well Okay, so let's move on to this film uh, called uh, Oh shit. We come as friends. We come as friends. Yeah. So um, this is by a French. I, th- I guess this is. Uh, I guess this would totally be like a French uh, submission, although it's all about Sudan, uh, Sudan and Africa. Um, and uh, the documentary, uh, the, the uh, director is a guy named Hubert Salper, who apparently is a Academy uh, Award nominated for something. I didn't look up what what his previous credits were or what he was nominated for. Best animated film, Despicable Me too. Oh yeah, yeah. He he invented the Minions. <laughs> this is he did he took all that Minions money and made this documentary about how fucked Sudan is. <laughs> um, one for them, one for us. That's yeah. <laughs> that's his theory. <laughs> he followed Soderberg Soderberg's career closely. Um. Yeah, this is this is a tough one to talk about because it's it's um, so so what the director did he and his camera person just took this biplane and basically flew all around Sudan talking to anyone they could find ranging from like villagers uh, and uh, you know missionaries and oil developers and. Um, you know, Western entrepreneurs who are there for whatever reason and politicians and people in the military and educators. And it's basically this series of kind of, uh, uniformly grim vignettes of, um, these different situations and about how just everyone's having a real hard time, uh, holding this country together. And I I guess the main theme running through it is that, uh, Sudan and part of what the film goes into is, uh, the, the the country of Sudan was divided between a North and a South state. And it, it kind of is, this documentary is kind of happening in the wake of that and, and kind of loosely seeing what that impact is. But what, what really is the, 
the thing that um, Sauper is trying to take a look at is kind of the lingering effects of colonialism on the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, it's it's not a it's not a it's not a joyride <laughs> by any chance. Yeah. It's, um, it's pretty grim subject matter, but what about it, the 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 aesthetics of it is that equally uh, it sort of... it takes this weird sort of like floating camera approach and um, I, I think what I said in my review that the two things that it kind of reminded me of um, even though it it's not quite exactly but the what it called to mind was Gaspar Noé's Enter the Void and then also like the opening. 12, 15 minutes of Wings of Desire, where it's just kind of that weird floating oh, wow. camera that kind of goes around. That sounds kind of I think it, that, that's more the feeling it evokes, more so than the actual form. I don't, okay. I don't think you get a literal like camera kind of exiting rooms and finding other people right. to w- observe. But uh, for some reason, those were the two reference points for points for me, at least in terms of the mood that it sort of conjured. So it's, uh, you know, I'd say it's like 60% dreamlike, you know? Um, but it is interesting and it's, it's, you know, educational like these things can be. So. All right. Um, uh, there's also a, uh, so we're, I like that we're jumping, like you said, uh, early at the, at the beginning, um, you know, jumping around the festival to the, these different, uh, arms, you called them earlier, but, uh, you know, the different categories. Yeah. And our next one is in the, Park City at Midnight. Park City at Midnight, and which is my personal favorite one right. each year. Yeah, I'm, I'm no, no matter over... which screening you attended, it was not at midnight. Not, uh, this is uh, Adam Wingard's new film, The Guest, showing a couple of showings at 11.45 and 11.30, yep. but also 4.30 p.m. and 6 p.m. showings. Which yes. one did you go to? I went to one of the 11.30 ones. Okay. So I went to as close to a midnight show as possible, right. which is great. Uh, this This is... It's tough to switch gears from the Sudan movie to this one, but <laughs> this was uh, this was uh, such a super fun movie. Was it tough in the day to switch? You saw these the same day, mm-hmm. yeah, oh, w- from one to the other, yeah. And th- I mean, you know, you've 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 been to like what is it, AFI Fest or something? Uh, I've been to both LAF okay. and AFI Fest. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you have to do these rough shifts in tone in your mind from yeah. one thing to the other. But, so you yeah. basically said, "All right, enough death and destruction. Now let's watch some death and destruction." <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, for those who don't know, Adam Wingard uh, is the director of Your Next, um, and uh, has, uh, which is amazing. And he's also done some of the things for those uh, VHS and ABCs of Death movies, which are less than stellar, <laughs> in my opinion. But uh, he gets a Mostly he bad. gets a big pass for yeah. your next. Um, and this is great. I mean, if people liked your next, they'll they'll like this one too. I think it's uh, it keeps up the quality. Um, it's it's super fun movie. I think it was the not the best movie I saw this year, but probably the most fun one, just in terms mm-hmm. of. Um, a great a great experience with seeing a movie with an audience uh it's uh like we said it's directed by adam wingard and the the writers simon barrett we should also say who mm-hmm. who uh is the writer that works with wingard right um and this it's sort of a throwback to um you know an 80s style john carpenter thriller almost uh it's about this sort of um, discharged, possibly deranged uh, army ranger who kind of shows up 
uh, on the doorstep of one of his fallen comrades and sort of just uh, worms his way into their lives and, you know, almost becomes, you know, you know a big brother figure to the, the kid in the family and mm. possible romantic interest of the daughter and, you know, helps the parents out. Uh, so almost, so he kind of like Uncle Bucks it in this family. <laughs> and, uh but you know, you slowly realize that you know this guy is totally crazy, and then it mm. and then it kind of gets crazy. You know, I it it evolves from there, but it gets violent and it gets it gets very very just kind of fun in terms of just kind of B movie mayhem, mm. and uh, also stars Leland Orser and Lance Reddick characters. Oh, yeah. I'm a huge fan of both of them. <clears throat> and the and the ranger, the the titular guest is. Uh, Dan Stevens from Downton Abbey. Um, oh, okay, yes. Yeah, who uh, is no longer on that show uh, and is like, do you guys watch Downton Abbey? I don't, but my wife does, and so she, uh, I, I, when I said, oh, yes, I just, I happened to read uh, something in Entertainment Weekly about him. Uh, and yes, he is somewhat recently not on Downton Abbey, and it was rather controversial, correct? Uh, that's true, yeah. Okay. Um, but if this is, and so this, so people, so for, and he played cousin Matthew on Downton Abbey. So anyone that knows him primarily or exclusively from that role, which included myself, this is, this is like going to be a major revelation because he's (laughs) indistinguishable from that character without doing any major sort of physical transformation. Mm. You, You know, he's the same weight. Um, he has the same hair color. You know, he looks different because he's in modern clothes and has a modern haircut. And but he's totally transformed with this really convincing Texas accent he puts on, and mm. is completely believable in this ridiculous part. <laughs> Would you say? And that's the thing. You know, you never know what kind of movie is going to is going to catch on. But like, if this movie to catch on is like, is this a? Well, he already has like a career defining role, uh, but. From a cinematic standpoint, is this the kind of thing that could get people to sit up and say, "Oh, what is this?" Almost like, a, almost like a Bronson for uh, for Tom Hardy. Like, is yeah. it that kind of role? I would think so. Yeah. Okay. I mean, this is um, this is a sillier movie than Bronson, but okay. I mean, Bronson is probably more heightened, I guess. Yeah. Um, it'd be hard for a movie to be less heightened or uh, more heightened than Bronson. It's hmm. pretty, pretty ridiculous, but. Uh, I bet the, I, I get the feeling that I get the, that's Nicholas Winding Refn, right? Yeah, yeah. I feel like maybe he, oh, maybe he thought that God, himself yeah. and said, "I'm going to take this challenge because <laughs> I saw Valhalla Rising, and that is a stylistically uh, just insane and, and surprisingly that, beautiful." And then only did you ever see Only God Forgives? I did not. David saw it, right? Yes, it's great. I loved it. Yeah. All right. I don't know if I loved it. (laughs) Today I loved it. I could could feel very differently about it tomorrow. Or in an hour. Yeah. uh, That's. I I, I wrote a review and posted it, and then I put on Twitter Will someone read my review of Only God Forgives and tell me whether or not I liked it? (laughs) Because I can't uh, can't tell. Yeah. At at the moment, I would say that I loved it. Uh, It has definitely grown in my estimation since I first saw it. Yeah. And I think I'll. I might have said this on the podcast before, but I'll say I think the main reason that I like Only God Forgives and didn't like Drive is the villain. And I know everyone thinks that Albert Brooks is great in Drive, and I guess he is, but he doesn't feel 
that threatening to me, whereas the villain in Only God Forgives, who could be said to be essentially a god himself, completely unstoppable. Also arguably the protagonist. It, very much, yeah. yes. Um, uh, per, yeah, very very arguably more sympathetic than our ostensible lead uh, is such an amazing creation that I think that's why Only God Forgives uh, is a better film. Yeah, yeah I gotta see it. It's, it's great. But getting back to, getting back to the, the guest, um, what you were saying, Tyler, I think this does put, put Stevens in a really good position to kind of have a career after cousin Matthew on Downton Abbey. I, I think, I mean, you were next was famously not a big hit once all was said and done, but yeah. Yeah. if this is, if this is able to do better than that did, I think, you know, I think he'll be in a good position. Hmm. Um, and I'm also working on sort of a pet theory that, um, that, and I don't know if I totally buy it yet that, um, that Adam Wingard is to John Carpenter as, De Palma is to Hitchcock. Hmm. And I'm not sure how much I believe that myself, but after seeing his last two movies, that's what I'm sort of chewing over. Okay. That's interesting. But I, I, I think his career is, is, uh, say it again. Uh, Adam Wingard is to John Carpenter as Brian De Palma is to Hitchcock. Okay. I like that. Um, well, I guess that depends we'll see that on, pans out. Yeah. I guess that depends on, uh, what are you, what's your opinion of Brian De Palma? I love Brian De Palma. Okay, then. Yeah. Um, as long as we're on the subject of John Carpenter, here's something that I think might be super well known now, but I didn't know until recently. So the girl who gets shot in Assault on Precinct 13 mm-hmm. is now one of the real housewives of Beverly Hills. Oh. Did, did you know that? I no. did not know that. <laughs> okay. Well, is it, isn't that one that was an actress that was in other stuff, too? Yeah, or, she's been okay. in other stuff, too. Yeah. I knew one of them was an actress. I didn't know she was in Assault in Precinct 13. She's, I mean, that girl has half a scene, and then she gets shot. Mm-hmm. The story, I don't know if this is true, this is way off topic, about that is apparently um, the MPAA was going to give the film an X rating because of that shot of a, like a seven-year-old girl, like a squib exploding on her chest. Pretty cool scene. Uh, yeah, and um, I guess John Carpenter just submitted the film to the MPAA without that shot in it, <laughs> and then got an R. And then put the shot back in for the theaters. <laughs> yeah, that guy's a real asshole. <laughs> all right. So uh, anyway, let's move on to Boyhood, which is something that I am super excited to hear all about. Even though I can't find it in the, uh... you know, it's not in there because it was the late. It was added too late. Oh, not to, in the to, program to even make it into the program. So yeah, you you won't find it in there. Um, but this is Richard Linklater's new movie Boyhood, uh, and this is something I'd. I'd been hearing about for years, and I was wondering if you guys were as well. Um, mm-hmm. This is a movie Linklater started filming, I think, in 2002. And uh, it, and basically he would um, gather this sort of core group of actors each year to film like one or two small scenes for like the last 12 or 13 years or whatever it's been. Um, and it's, it's this sort of... Um, it's it's this uh, sort of domestic portrait of this young kid, and uh, his name is Mason in the movie. I think the actor's name is L.R. Coltrane. And it's basically the story of this kid growing up from age 6 to age 18, and you you follow his actual growing up. So it it's really it's you know it's remarkable the way that they did it it's it's a little bit of a gimmick but it's the it's hard to even articulate 
the how profound the the effect of it is uh, to kind of see to see this young kid grow and I guess you wouldn't call it like real time it's, it it'd be like time lapse I guess but right. yeah. uh, but to kind of see this this little boy kind of like grow into into an actual like a you know not quite adult but essentially a grown person in sort of establish his own identity and sort of find himself in that time. And, you know, we've seen biopics and things before that have, uh, that have sort of traced a person's entire life. Um, but it's, it's, it's hard to describe just the like cognitive difference between, you know, cutting to a scene that's later in a character's life and it's an older actor with like the same haircut or whatever, and actually seeing the person grow up and, you know, looking, looking at the face of the guy in yeah. the final scene and sort of like remembering back to the boy you met, like the little kid you met like two hours ago. It's kind of like, and I, I this may sound flip. It's like Harry Potter. Like, I guess so. Yeah. You get to that last movie and you realize you've spent 10 years with these characters watching, watching these kids grow up. Uh, and so like when, like I recently rewatched uh 7.2 hasn't gotten any better. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't hate it, but it's the major flaws. But anyway, uh, and so then when like when the characters wind up, I apologize. You're, you're talking about this very uh, deep and profound film. It's like, yeah, it's like Harry Potter. Hey, uh, hey, Harry Potter is. I love Harry just Potter. As touching and deep about adolescence yeah. and coming of age and all that. I just, I just feel as, like uh, I can't say about Boyhood. I didn't see Boyhood, but I just feel like I might lose. It, it's very easy to lose credibility when it's just like it's like. Wizards oh, yeah, and like, shit. What yeah. was that? Wizards and shit. Yeah, right. right. And so, uh, but like when they go back into like the Chamber of Secrets, which I hadn't seen since the fr- since that film, and you're just like, oh yeah, like they're remembering it, you're remembering it. You realize you kind of grew up yeah. with them, even though I was I, you know, the first one came out when I was like 20, but still, like, yeah. uh, that that's the only thing I can I can compare it to. So, but this is actually about. Not that those movies aren't about those kids growing up, but it's about other things as well. But this is about this kid's life, and you get to, and all the other actors are growing, uh, growing. Yeah, up and, as and well. I, yeah, and, and I should say it's not just this kid; the entire cast. It um, Patricia Arquette plays his mom, mm-hmm. and uh, Ethan Hawke plays his dad, and they, you know, they age mm-hmm. the same twelve years that he does. Yeah, um, and you know, if you take a, and just like in life, it happens gradually over the course of the movie. But you know, if you if you take a snapshot of Ethan Hawke from the first scene that he's in, put it next to the next one. You can, you know, it really, it really makes you feel the weight of these years. And, yeah. and there, there's been stuff like this before. I mean, Link Litter's own before series does a similar thing. Uh, but there, there is, there's sort of an odd effect of seeing it all sort of, uh, confined within this one, this one movie. And who knows, maybe, maybe he'll keep filming this guy. And yeah, that's in what I was wondering. Years, yeah. When you mentioned the before series, like, has he already started the sequel? I mean, who knows? They may be working on like a manhood right, <laughs> right now. Yeah. It'll be out in 12 years. I wouldn't be surprised, but it's, it's, I mean, and, and you know, the gimmick of this would, wouldn't mean anything if the movie itself wasn't like incredibly, incredibly good, but, mm-hmm. it, but it is an incredibly good movie. It's probably like one of the best American movies I've seen since like, Margaret or There Will Be Blood, hmm. you know, well, it's like up there with those kinds of things. Wow. That sounds great. I'm very excited. And, uh, and it, the other thing I really liked about it, it really, it, the way it kind of anchors you, it's also, I think 
it's we're too close to it now, but I think in 50 years, it'll also be a really important document of like the aughts, of like the decade of the aughts. Mm. Um, hmm. And it, it has a good, it has, you know, it'll, it'll be a great depiction of what life was like in this, in that decade. And um, it anchors you where you are in time with pop music really well too. Cause I think the first song you hear over the opening credits is yellow by Coldplay. Yeah. And then when you hear like blurred lines, you, uh-huh. you know, the movie's probably almost done. So. <laughs> uh, you know, I said, uh, we did the episode that I get it episode where we talked about, um, uh, we, we talked about uh, essentially stuff in a lot of ways that even when people like it, they we still feel like maybe they don't like it as much as they should. I think for a long time I felt like Richard Linklater was that. Like everyone knew that Richard Linklater was a good director, but there was a long time where I don't think he got the credit as sort of one of the uh, major auteurs of late 20th century American cinema. And I think uh, basically, I mean, the reaction that I've heard from from Boyhood, and of course the. Um, you know, the, after the third film and the before movies, I, I do think that he's really, people are starting to not think of him as this sort of still like young like, guy, you know, making these sort of fringe movies. Yeah. Like sort of, sort of like in the class of like Robert Rodriguez or Tarantino. Kind yeah. Of, yeah. Kind of that era in aesthetic. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think people are taking him, uh, as seriously as I've always felt they should. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, Let's move on to uh, Imperial Dreams, which is back to the uh, next Back category. to the next category, which you might remember from Appropriate Behavior, which we talked about five hours ago. <laughs> um, I think my numbers are different than yours. Uh, um, yeah, they are. My, my, my numbers aren't in the right order, actually, but I, <laughs> I went back to the, um, the posts oh, that okay. Ben wrote. Because, yeah, I noticed the numbers were in a different order. Sorry, guys. That's okay. My bad. Um, now I look like some kind of moron <laughs> for saying let's watch, let's talk about my prairie home. Well, 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 yeah, yeah, spoils it. Yeah, yeah, come on, come on, come on, come on. We'll talk about my prairie home next. Okay. Imper- now everyone knows we're going to talk about my prairie home. <laughs> I, I'm assuming that people are sitting at their computers following along. Yeah. With their with, own programs. With, with, with their, their own, own programs. Well, and with the articles which, themselves. Which I also numbered incorrectly and mailed out to everyone, <laughs> to every subscriber of the show. Um. But no, it's it, feasible. You yeah. can do that. <laughs> I have to get that list from you later. Mm-hmm. Do some direct marketing. <laughs> um, but Imperial Dreams was uh, won the next category, so it won the category that appropriate behavior was competing in. Um, and it's really good. I wouldn't say it's it's anything we haven't seen before. It it's about um, this sort of young ex-con in Watts who is sort of sprung from jail and he's a single father and he's sort of semi, semi homeless. Um, and he's just kind of base, it all kind of takes place around the Imperial courts housing project in, in Watts. Um, and it's, you know, it's about him trying to not go back to a life of crime uh, and he has his sort of uh, like gang banger, like lifer uncle, sort of pushing him to kind of help out with the you know stuff he's doing, like moving drugs up to Portland and and things like that. Um, and it's it's you know this it, it it's a uh, I you know I think it's a sort of an unofficial genre called like hood movies that mm-hmm. maybe started with Boys in the Hood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it kind of fits in, it kind of fits into that genre, but you know, things, 
things aren't getting that much better over there. So there's always going to be, there's, there's always going to be room for movies that kind of reflect the reality of, of, um, that kind of life, you know, uh, whether it's 20 years ago or today and this fits in that tradition. So and I wouldn't say it like is anything that, you know, formally or in terms of the narrative that kind of sets itself apart from that, but it's like, it's a very well done version of a thing we've maybe seen before. So, uh, and then cause we know Tyler can't wait. Let's <laughs> go ahead and talk about my Prairie home. The final film you saw. Yeah. And, um, this was this was like kind of a likable little movie. It was it's um it's basically a tour documentary about this musician I was I'd, I'd never heard of before. Um, but uh, their name is Ray Spoon, and uh, and what they are is this um, transgendered uh, musician who uh, they were born female and later um started identifying as male but then decided that they were more comfortable with a sort of uh more androgynous uh gender identity hmm. and and the pronoun they uh and I'm I'm it sounds it sounds like I'm being condescending when I'm saying you know when I'm hitting the they is really hard but that's that's the that's the way they they say that they prefer it and I just have to put the emphasis on it so I can remember to hit it mm-hmm. in my own properly without, without, uh, speaking incorrectly about it. But, um, Is Spoon's, the documentary more about their music or it's, it's, mo- it's almost exclusively about their music, which is sort of, which is sort of, uh, disappointing because obviously this is a really, uh, interesting and unique sort of backstory, but it's, it's kind of just treated as that just kind of backstory that's used to kind of set up who this person is. Hmm. And then is the music good. Music is very good. Oh, okay. Yeah. It it kind of reminds me of Tegan and Sarah, oh, sure. like their early stuff, you know, kind of like folky electro stuff. So I like that. It it's uh yeah, so I I was just like, you know, it wasn't the movie, you know, there there's maybe a movie out there about Ray Spoon's background that's more interesting mm-hmm. than this, you know, yet to be made, but um it's good. It's it's really it's it's very slight. It's like 70 minutes, I think. 75 minutes and a lot of that is just uh you know live footage kind of these kind of like low budget music videos they threw in there and just like a lot of driving around canada on a greyhound mm-hmm. looking out the window but um I, I do love stuff like that yeah well it's it's yeah it's 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 a uh, it's a nice little movie but i would i would just call it that like a nice little documentary Mm-hmm. But it, so, it sounds like a nice way to you, you didn't end the festival with uh you know uh the Sudan documentary. No, yeah. Is uh, a pleasant way to it, yeah, it sent me out like with a with a song in my heart, a transgendered song in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> uh so um well thanks for doing this. Yeah, my uh, pleasure. I, I mean both being on the show and going to Sundance. Mm-hmm. Um on your own dime, which we're going <laughs> to try and uh, correct next year. Uh I think but uh, uh, maybe the, if people buy more tweaked audio yeah. earbuds, yeah, I'm, that's I'm, what I'm, I'm looking at them right now. You guys, they're great. Yeah, I'm holding uh, them in my hand. They are fantastic. Um, so, uh, well, you can uh, at home. You can find us at battleshippretension.com. That's where you can find this podcast, the other podcast, and the BP fleet. You can find all our movie reviews, including my review of that awkward moment, and including all of uh, Matt's write-ups about the films that you just. Um, 
heard about uh, from Sundance and from the past two Sundances, three, two, two Sundances as well. Yep. Um, those are all on uh, battleshippretension.com. You can email me at david at battleshippretension.com or email Tyler at tyler at battleshippretension.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at the pretension. Follow Tyler on Twitter at More Lessons. That's the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find at morethanonelesson.com. We talked about earlier. Anything more to say? Uh, we are, let's see. Oh, that's right. I. We changed the day that we put up episodes, so I get confused uh, sometimes. But uh, yeah, the most recent episode is, in fact, a mini-sode. We are continuing our series on the best of pictures, and we talk about uh, Michelle Hazanovicius's uh, The Artist. Huh, yeah. So, uh, and I like that movie. You know what? I do too. And it's it's a film that's not my uh, favorite movie of the year, but uh, no, it wasn't. But I wasn't, I was not part of the backlash. It's got a cute dog in it. Yeah. Yes, it does have a cute dog in it. I don't understand the backlash. Like, it's a movie that accomplishes everything it wants to do, and what it wants to do is pretty pretty great and remarkably charming. And you can do a lot worse. People still taking the Oscars a little too seriously, you know, and saying this didn't deserve to win Best Picture. Well, yeah. So what? It's like it's not it's not Crash, you know. It, it's yeah, not a that's... shitty movie that won Best Picture. <laughs> it's not maybe not the best picture of the year, but I don't have any problem with it. Yeah, and Josh and I recorded uh, two minisodes in one sitting. One was about the artist, one was about the king's speech. There is a notably different tone uh, from one minisode <laughs> to the next. Regarding... I never saw the king's speech. I like that movie. Okay, they're they're a good thing. It was in my top ten that year, and then I saw another mo- uh, like uh, another big movie. I don't remember what it was, but it knocked out King's Speech. Unfortunately, we already recorded the episode, and uh, so it's you know it's always in there. But uh, no, that's why I, I'm cramming. I, that's why I'm watching things like Oblivion, just no. in just in case <laughs> I hear you. It ends up in the top I ten. Uh, but yeah, and so I uh, I think I think King's Speech is is perfectly good in a lot of ways. It's very watchable, but when you look at the movies that were nominated. Boy, oh boy. Like, it, it ranks um, towards the bottom. Speaking of top tens. Yeah. Uh, oh, yes. Good, um, good call. Those are going on right now uh, mm-hmm. in the lead up. This is what we what we do at BattleshipRetention.com. We do a top ten every Friday leading up to mm-hmm. the Oscars and leading up to the week before the Oscars, which is when we do, Tyler and I do our personal top tens on an episode yeah. of Battleship Pretension. Obviously, those are the most important top tens. Obviously. Yes. Clearly. Um yeah. But uh, so far, who's who's gone up? Scott, you got your Scott, Josh, Josh, Aaron, Aaron, and then this week uh, Rita put her right up, so. and uh, a film that I previously uh, maligned <laughs> earlier in this episode. Yeah. Um, speaking of backlash, I'm a big part of the backlash on on that one. Yeah. Uh, ranks high uh, for yeah. for Rita. So varying opinions you can find at BattleshipRetention.com. If you think that I'm Full of shit or an asshole or a douchebag or all those things that I probably am. Um, don't let that discourage you. There are plenty of other <laughs> opinions to be found at BattleshipProtection.com. Yeah. Yours uh, and mine are the most important ones, but <laughs> right. you can... But there are also co- comment sections where you can tell me what an idiot I am um, as long as you, you know, back it up. Uh, yeah, with paragraph after paragraph after paragraph of just being a jerk <laughs> you know did someone say something bad about you no this was about you a long oh, time ago that guy i forgot about that guy completely uh, <laughs> I remember. Put him out of it's like, it bothers me it's just <laughs> no i that's you know what uh that's what it's for um haters gonna hate haters are gonna hate that's true <laughs> boom um so uh, you're welcome guys also uh we do not yet have uh, a specific date for when the uh the beepies 
ceremony will be released. Right. Uh, but we'll try to keep you up to date. In the meantime, if you go to BattleshipRetention.com, there is a little graphic uh, that you can click on to see the BP nominations. Yeah. And, uh, and feel free to make any kind of prediction as to yeah. what, uh, what you think will win, what you think should win. Uh, and we will keep you updated on when the ceremony will happen. And the ceremony will essentially be a bonus episode, not a premium episode. It'll be right. free. If yeah. You, yeah, but uh, it will be non-canonical, as it were. It'll be free if you do not buy earbuds or you know donate or something like that. Like if you if you just happen to just walk on by and say, "I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to this and not commit in uh-huh. any way. I'm not gonna sacrifice anything of myself to encourage <laughs> these guys." If you're one of those, then yes, it is technically free. Look, I think you should get the earbuds because they're great <laughs> earbuds and it helps us. Yeah, uh, oh, I'm absolutely. not gonna guilt you into. And if you want to donate, that would really really help. Yeah, uh, I'm not gonna guilt you into stuff. But um, <laughs> uh, anyway. That's Tyler's podcast, More Than One Lesson. My other <laughs> podcast is called Hey, Watch This. It's a weekly television uh, podcast that I do with Paul Goble, the king of TV. You can find it at battleshipretention.com. This week we'll be talking about CBS's How I Met Your Mother and FX's American Horror Story, Coven. Um, and uh, that's that. Matt, where can people find you and your work on the internet, other than battleshipretention.com? Um, uh, I'm on Twitter. You can find me at MPM Wharton. Um, I, what is it? What does that mean? MPM? Uh, Matthew Patrick Murphy Wharton. Okay. That's, <clears throat> that's one too many names. I know. Yeah. Let's, is let's, that a, is one of them a confirmation name? No, one of them is my, my mom never changed her last name when she got married okay. and mm-hmm. gave me her last name as a second middle name. And okay. then. The Patrick is some Catholic bullshit. Okay. Um, so which of those so, middle names would you drop when you realize you have one too many names? <laughs> like which one? I have just gone by uh, Matt Patrick Warren before. Okay. Yeah. Matty P. That's what I'm going to So wait, are, are you yeah. Catholic? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you get it? Did you, were you confirmed and did you have to pick a confirmation name? I did. I don't remember what it was. Oh, mine was Gregory. Uh, I'll figure out what it is and I'll I'll tell you Report guys back. Ne- next year. When <laughs> yeah. We do this again. yeah. Can you just pick whatever name you want? It has to be a saint. Yeah, oh, it has to be a saint. Right. I don't know how that I works. I think it was something with a B. I don't know. Something with a B. That's a, Maybe. I don't know. That's, that's a saint. Right? Who, are, who are all the saints? Can you name them now? <laughs> no, there are so, so many saints. Oh, really? I, yeah. what, They're I, the most saints. What <laughs> What qualifies someone to be a saint? Just, well, just being dope. Okay. You have to be dead. You have to be all dead. Right. Miracles. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of like, well, you just mentioned the the season finale of American Horror Story. You have to I perform... Yet. I haven't watched them yet. You have to yet. perform a series of <laughs> mystical <laughs> rituals very okay, no, similar to true. that. But no, there is... Uh, I'm not sure what uh, qualified... I guess you have to be nominated after you die and then you have to be canonized. Being Catholic helps. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. a big part of it. Um, being shot full of arrows. Like, is that St. Bartholomew? I think uh, that... Uh, uh, it's a couple of them. Um, um, being can, broken on the wheel, yeah, like broken on the wheel, St. Catherine. That's that. That'll help. That'll okay. help your case. Having your head uh, removed and mummified and displayed in a church in Siena, Italy, is that uh, uh, Fatima, St. Fatima? Could be. I think that's yeah. who that is. Wow, fingers too, mummified fingers as well. <laughs> boy, oh boy, it, it's a it's a pretty sweet religion, does it, Tyler. Does it have to be a, a martyr situation? Do you have to no. die in, in a martyr situation? Okay. Uh, you could be hit no. by a bus or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you could. I mean, there is talk of um, 
I mean, there has been since she died, but talk of canonizing Mother Teresa. Yeah. I think she's... That seems like... A, she seems like a, a good candidate, right? There's all sorts of stuff about her that... Like, Saint Teresa rolls off the tongue. There's a... Yeah. And there are... There can be multiple saints with the same name, yeah. which is weird, because there's like three Saint Catherines. Yeah. And there are... There's, are, there's at least one Saint Teresa already, maybe two. Um, but... Uh, there's a whole thing, there's a whole Mother Teresa backlash that I'm not going to get into uh, on here. But um, there, if you if you read about her, there are some things that aren't aren't quite uh, uh, as like she left an answering machine message that was like really like really uh, anti-Semitic or something like no, that. I, no, I <laughs> no. Okay. No, uh, she uh, she was a former member of the Academy and then wrote a song right. for a Christian <laughs> <Right>. film. <laughs> All right, that's a good place to end it. Thank you for listening. Oh, can I mention one other thing? Oh. Uh, actually, oh, you just snuck it in there. Man, oh man. Oh, man. That, yeah. I actually uh, produce and direct a web show for Battleship Zone, Kyle Anderson, called Awesomely Bad Movies, which you can find yes. on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash mod primate, M O D P R I M A T E. Or just uh, search Awesomely Bad yeah, Movies. Or just search Awesomely Bad Movies. It's, uh, it's a fun show, and um, it's, I like doing it with Kyle, and Kyle uh, people should watch it. On awesomely bad yeah. movies, yeah. And you are sort of also um, the, you're the you're the guy behind the guy on the eleven points countdown. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're really like the host, Sam, right? Yeah, yeah. he's he's a figurehead. Yeah, really, you're pulling the strings. Like <laughs> yeah. you're you're the puppet master. Yeah, eleven here. points countdown too. YouTube.com forward slash eleven points countdown. It's a show I do with my friend Sam Greenspan. Uh, we haven't done one for a while, but I think we're we're gonna get started back up again soon. Good. Uh, Dave, uh, Dave and I have been on. Yeah, a and yeah. we've been on twice. Yeah, it's an excuse for me to get up early and drink beer before I go to my actual <laughs> job. Uh, I like that. <laughs> Uh, it's a it's a rare opportunity for me to wake up before noon and experience what everybody else in LA does, <laughs> which is be in traffic and just hate life at the be- <laughs> at the beginning of your day. Yep. So thanks for that. <laughs> All right. So thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.